If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible and you desire a Bible, we have extra Bibles in the back on the table or on the side table over here. And if you don't have one, you're, willing, uh, you're welcome to pick one of those up and take it home with you. We want everybody to have access to ownership of a Bible, so please grab one of those. We've been looking at the life of a man named Hezekiah. He was a king whose father had been completely wicked as the king before him, given over to idolatry. His father, Ahaz, had even sacrificed one of his sons. Well, Hezekiah, one of his other sons, becomes king. And as he becomes king, he begins reforms of the people of Israel, helping them come away from idolatry and to go completely towards God. And so they had reformed their temple worship. They had reformed uh, themselves to celebrate Passover as a holiday. And then they went out and they began to tear down all the, alt- uh, the altars and idols in the land. And, and now they're really having to come under the test. We saw last week that Hezekiah and Jerusalem were now facing an enemy, a literal enemy. The Assyrians were the most powerful nation on earth at the time. The king Sennacherib had come down from Assyria and they were marching closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. And so last week we saw that Sennacherib, like a big bully, his army was standing right outside Jerusalem, trash talking the people of Jerusalem calling up over the wall saying, hey, if, if you don't give yourself up, it's going to be really hard for you. And if you go back and read, I'm not even going to repeat some of the things they said because it's almost like, well, I don't know if I should say that in church. Uh, but it was that bad and it was a pressure situation. So uh, last week we talked about the heart. That when the outside and the, the things were going on. What do you do with your heart? And we saw that we need a steadfast heart, one that goes back to God. And we saw at the end of the story that as Hezekiah gets the news that they're out there trash talking and saying that things are going to be bad, that Hezekiah goes and he just goes to the temple of the Lord and throws himself at the Lord's feet. And that's where we pick up the story again today. Hezekiah is in a state of prayer. So we're going to talk about a heart of prayer this morning. Before we go into the word, just want to let you know that not the whole world believes in prayer. I had a conversation one time with a, a fellow and, and he said, you know, studies have shown that prayer doesn't work. Now, I question those studies because you can't subject spirituality to the scientific method. It just doesn't work. But as we went on, he said, what's the difference between you praying to God and me praying to this piece of furniture? The answer would come out the same. And the answer that God would give to that comes back to us through these passages as we recognize what happens when you go and pray to God. So let's let's wrestle with that this morning. What does it mean to have a heart of prayer? Is it the same to pray to this piece of furniture over here as it is to pray to the living God? That's a question that we need to ask is is prayer valid? What is a life of prayer? What is a heart of prayer? So let's go to Second Kings, chapter 19, verse one. It says, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it. He tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went to the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household and Shebna, the secretary and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth and there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all that the words of the Rabbishakah, that's the leader of the Assyrians, 
whom his uh, master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So Hezekiah, he receives this bad word. He goes to the house of the Lord. He's he's spilling his heart out there, but then he sends a message. What it was was a prayer request. The same way that you sat here in these pews earlier and you were telling the other brothers and sisters in this room, hey, here's a prayer request. Would you pray for this for me? That's what Hezekiah is doing. He wrote a letter and he sent it off to Isaiah the prophet. Now, Isaiah has his own book. He actually shares this whole story too in his book. He was a great, great prophet. And Hezekiah says, Isaiah, it's not only on my heart. This is on Jerusalem's heart. Here is what is happening. This enemy came has come. He is slandering God, mocking God. Here is the prayer request. Please seek the Lord in this manner. It's the same thing you and I do. I'm sharing with you a prayer request. And so it comes to Isaiah, this prayer request, and it goes on and says in verse 5, when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you've heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So Isaiah receives the request. The Lord speaks through him. So he's been praying and listening and he sends back an answer and says, Hezekiah, here's the word. The Lord has heard. The Lord sees and he's going to thwart the king of Assyria. He's going to thwart Sennacherib. So that should be a good answer to his prayer. We're going to see how all that plays out more next week. But here's what occurs after Hezekiah gets that answer, that word from the Lord. It says in verse 8, uh, the Rabshakeh, now that was the leader who's been speaking on behalf of the Assyrian king. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna. For he heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Terhakah, king of Cush. Behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah saying, thus shall you say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozen, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Uh, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Shepharim, and the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? So Sennacherib hears about this. Now, it tells that he's off at these other wars. That's meaning that Hezekiah, he's getting closer and closer. And closer. So even though Hezekiah has heard, hey, guess what? King Sennacherib is going to be defeated. When you looked out and looked at circumstances, look at, well, when is he going to be stopped? He keeps getting closer. And Sennacherib sends a message and says, hey, no one is stopping me on this march. My forces are getting closer. None of their gods have been able to stop me. They have prayed to their gods. Hasn't worked. They've trusted in their kings. Hasn't worked. Who do you think you are to trust in your God? Now, when they were praying to their gods, they were praying to usually a stone or a wood or a gold or silver idol. And Sennacherib is really saying, what good is it for you to pray to your piece of furniture? 
when you're that other country and you to pray to this God that you can't even see. There's no difference. I'm the king of Assyria and I'm going to destroy you. What good is prayer? Prayer doesn't have a chance against me, Assyrian, the Assyrian says. What good is prayer against cancer? What good is prayer against your circumstances? What good is prayer against your sin? Has it helped, helped anybody else, really? Come on, look at the scientific data. It hasn't helped anybody, has it? There's a lot of pressure on Hezekiah right now. Will God be good to his word? Does God answer prayer? Does God, when he speaks, keep his promises? That's what's going on in the heart of Hezekiah. Now he's hearing from the enemy. He's hearing from God, which one is true and which one is mighty. And so the story goes on. It says in verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from this hand, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah gets the letter from the king of Assyria. That's a daunting letter. I mean, that's worse than getting a letter from the IRS. I mean, he gets that letter. And what's he do? He just takes the letter, walks over to the temple of God, and it says he puts the letter before the Lord. He says, look, Lord, what he said. But he says, oh, Lord, you are the God enthroned above the cherubim. Now, they used to carry around a box, the Israelites did, called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was known as the very presence where the Lord would meet with them. On that box, there was two cherubim facing each other they would have their wings outstretched that would cover the middle and a lot of times in the ancient near east when you had cherubim and wings or or winged creatures flanking like that they were right next to the king's throne and oftentimes in pictures depicted there'd be the throne and then the image of god or of the king but not with our god back then on the ark of the covenant that box you had the cherubim's wings and right in the middle was nothing it was an invisible place why because god could not be contained just in that one place it was a seat of mercy but his mercy extends beyond what we can see it goes beyond what you and i can experience in tangible ways with our flesh and our blood god is everywhere he is all-knowing he's omnipotent and so he can't just be placed into a picture and so hezekiah comes and says you are the god who's enthroned above the cherubim you are the one who sees everything who's made everything and you see this king who's come to defy you up to this point he has thrown all the other gods who aren't really gods and made of stone made of wood and destroyed them and now he's come to your door oh god here's his letter how he's mocked you he says now lord please listen and please see as if God wasn't listening or seeing. He just says, Lord, here's my heart. 
says, Lord, please save us. I love how he does that there in that moment because he says, please. We've got this thing that we do at our house, and I'm sure it's happened in your house and every other house, that when somebody in our house wants something, there's usually one of two ways they can come and, and say it. Somebody wants the milk, they say, give me the milk. Is that the right way to do it? No, how should we say it? Please, that's right. Because there's a difference between saying, give me the milk, and please give me the milk, right? One, you come and you demand. You say, give me this. And that, my friends, is oftentimes how we approach God in prayer. Give me this. Give me the more money. Give me a better way. Give me, give me, give me, give me. We kind of approach him more of like he's our butler. He's our God. Okay, and just like we would as a family member, we would expect with anybody else when we come to him, we shouldn't come and say, give me, save me, God. There's actually a theology going out through the world, uh, so-called Christian world right now, name it and claim it. If I say it's mine, it's mine, because God's just going to do that for me. Name it and claim it. No, 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 no. Hezekiah comes and says, please, please save us. Why? Because it's a, a humble, desperate cry from somebody who knows there's no other way. Please, God, I need you. That's a lot different. Save me versus God, please save me. Please save us. We've got to be at a point of desperation. There was three preachers and they, they were having a conversation once. There's a telephone repairman who was kind of standing off the side over here in their conversation. The three preachers were discussing this. What was the best posture of prayer? Well, the first preacher said, well, I find that my prayers work better if I get down on my knees and I fold my hands and close my eyes. And the second preacher said, well, I find my prayers work better when I stand up and I spread my, my arms to the heavens. And the third preacher said, well, I find my prayers work better if I lay out prostrate on the ground with my face all the way to the floor. And finally, the telephone repairman just couldn't take it anymore. And he said to them, fellas, I've always found my best posture of prayer is when I'm hung up in the wires and my head's facing the ground. Why? Because it's then you know when you're completely desperate. Isn't it easy to kind of put on a posture a prayer. I mean, you can come down to the altar as many times as you want. You can get on your knees. You can spread your hands to the heaven. You can even go face down on the floor. But the question is, is that where your heart really is? I think Hezekiah's heart's come to that place. Where I, I don't have anything else, Lord. Here's the letter from Sennacherib. Here's my enemy. And I just, I just say, please listen, Lord, please. But I love that last part of the prayer is he recognizes this. When he says this at the end of the prayer, he says. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. His prayer as he comes and he says, please save us, isn't just so that they can be saved. Hezekiah recognizes that there's something bigger going on here, that if God might work, if God might be God in that situation, that as a result of that answered prayer, that other people might witness the fact that he is God. There's an opportunity that as that prayer gets answered, it's not just about Hezekiah living a few more years. But in the midst of that, people being saved, that people might look at it and say, man, 
Sennacherib was no match for God. He was no match. God needs to be announced as God of all. God of all. What we see here with Hezekiah is this moment where he's wrestling in prayer, isn't he? He's already heard confirmation from Isaiah. Hey, the Lord says he's going to save you, and this is the way it's going to go down. We'll see that next week. Hezekiah receives another word from the Assyrian king, comes the Lord desperate again. He's desperate, and he's wrestling. He's wrestling. And you will find that when you pray and you pray and you pray, you find that prayer is a wrestling. Now you come away with peace, but when you're in the midst of that prayer, it's a wrestle. Why? Not because when you're wrestling in prayer, you're twisting God's arm. You're not twisting God's arm. What he's doing is wrestling with you to conform you to his will. To say, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm about. I am God. And we say in that prayer as we wrestle, here's my situation, but not my will, but yours be done. We find this best in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Over 600 years later, when Jesus Christ comes, he's born into a manger. He grows up as you and I. He probably had bullies in grade school. He probably had home life situations that were difficult where his sister was saying, give me the milk. You know, he grew up like you and I. But the hardest part of it was, was the night before he goes to the cross. He went to the garden of Gethsemane. And he wrestled in prayer. Even Jesus, when he went three times, went away, a stone's throw from his disciples, went away and prayed. And he said, Father, please take this cup, the cup of suffering from me. Not my will, but yours be done. He got up the first time, but he had to go back to wrestle. And he went away and then came back a third time. He had to go back to wrestle. And when he got up from those prayers, he went on and did what? He went and did the will of the Father. And thank God that he did. Because the reality is when we pray to God, we pray and it's not always going to be exactly what we want. How many of you have had people die in your life? Every hand should be raised. There's a 100% rate in this world. That's scientifically backed up too. How many of those people that died in your life you prayed for that they would live? There's a time when God says no. And that is an answer to prayer. And if there's anybody who knows what that's like, it's Jesus. And he was in that garden and he prayed, take this cup from me. You know what the father's answer was? No. And it's a good thing that was the answer. Because as Jesus wrestled in prayer, went away saying, no, the father's will is the cross. Jesus went to the cross. And he was nailed on that tree and he bled out. He was pierced. And as Isaiah, the prophet had said 600 years earlier, he was wounded in that place. For our sin, for our iniquity, so that we would be healed, so that when he suffered under the wrath of God, you and I wouldn't have to. And how do we escape that wrath? When we say, look what Jesus has done for my sin, Lord, please incline your ear to hear me. I am asking for your forgiveness. I am desperate for your salvation. Lord, please save me. The moment that you pray that, 
within your heart. And he's done that work. He lifts all of your sin off you and the wrath of God. And he placed it on of Jesus because he became the substitute. And as a result of that, he says that when he saves you from your sin, you have been given life. And I'm not talking about maybe a few more years in this life. His goal is to make sure that you know that he is God and him alone. And that when you come to that place of saying, Lord, save me, you'll recognize it's not just for a few more years on this earth. It's for all of eternity. Now, what if God the Father had told the Son, yes. If Jesus prayed, take this cup from me, and the Father said, yes. You know what that would mean for you? Death. An eternity of separation from God. Some of the best prayers in life, your answers are no. And it's a wrestle. It's a wrestle. We come to the Lord in desperation, but at the end of the day, he says, yes, no, maybe, wait, not here, not now, not him, not her. But you have to know this. Every single answer, whether yes, no, maybe, wait, whatever that answer is, whenever the Lord comes and answers you, you have to know that his answer comes with love. Is always love. And so when a man says to me, by science, they can't prove that God answers any better than this piece of furniture, my answer back is this. One, we don't know the mind of God. But two, we just can't understand the depth of his love. That furniture does not love you. But boy, that God does. How do I know that? I know that he loves us. I know that he loves you. I know that he loves me and he loved Hezekiah. I know that he loves us because he told his own son, no. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son that whosoever and place within the whosoever you, that when Jason believes on him, he would not perish have eternal life. So every answer of God is from love. We may wrestle with it, but you have to know that he loves you. And in all the yeses and all the noes that he gives you, whatever he brings your way with the answer to your prayer, when he says, I'm saying this out of love, ultimately what he's trying to get into your brain and into your spirit and into your life is for you to recognize and say, You are God and you are alone and I will just trust you. I trust you. Trust God. Wrestle with God. But in that wrestle, come out and say, I lay down my will and you are God and I will follow what you tell me to do. Because I know that you love me. And I know that you have the best for me. And I know I don't love all the circumstances and I realize that this person's still irritating and I realize that cancer's still around and I realize that the world isn't the way I like it. I realize that my sister's not passing me the milk and I'm just not getting all the things that I want. But I know that you love me because I saw what you did through Jesus. And you've come and you've taken residence in my heart so that when I pray, I know that I'm praying to a God who hears me and a God who loves me. And you're not just some false idol.
What enemy do you have against you this morning? Hezekiah had Sennacherib, the Assyrians, breathing down his neck. And they had a letter that they had sent. And Hezekiah came and he laid that before God. He put it before God and said, here it is. This is what I'm up against. In a sense, he was offering it. I am offering this to you that you might care for this situation. Please save me. And so this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to to do the Hezekiah prayer. This isn't some ritual. This isn't just a posture of prayer. This is an opportunity for us to cry out in desperation with whatever individually you have before the Lord and say, here is my prayer. Lord, would you see this and would you show me that you're God and remind me of your love and help me to say, not my will, but yours be done. And I will be good with that. I'll be okay with that. You have to wrestle me into that, but I'll be okay with that. This morning along the, uh, in the pews, in the pew in, in, in front of you, along the aisles on the outsides, there's a, uh, a, a tablet of paper. If you would, if, if you would find that paper that's in front of you, it's a little uh, notepad. Take one of those sheets of paper and pass it down your row till everybody has a sheet of paper. There should be a couple pens, pencils if you don't have one. Now, I'm not going to force you to do anything. I just want to give you a tangible opportunity to pray as Hezekiah did. He had a letter from the Assyrian king. It was a, a statement of all that was coming against him and the people of Jerusalem. This morning, with that piece of paper... I'd like you to write down, and if you don't want it, so there's a record of it, you don't want somebody to see it, just take your finger. You could just kind of mark it with your finger, but, but, but write down on that piece of paper that thing that's just on you, that thing that's after you. It just seems overwhelming. It's just there. It may be something that's been with you for a long time. It's, you know what? It could be sin first. Deal with sin first before you deal with anything external. If there's been something in your life, it could be an addiction. It could be a habit. It could just be a place that you go to because it's so easy. Um, you've done something in the past. It was one time, but you just can't get your mind off it. Take it to the Lord. It's the enemy. Write that thing down. Write it with your finger. You've got something, a situation, a circumstance, a person, something in your life that you just need to put before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm desperate here. I'm like that telephone guy hanging from the wires. I don't have anywhere else to go but you in this. Write that thing down. Just go ahead and take a moment and consider it. Write it down if you got it. As you write that, I'm going to ask if Sue and Danny would come up for our final song as well. As they come, we're going to come into a, a song, our final time of prayer. But as we sing, this is what I'd like you to do. That paper that you have, you've got one of two choices now. You could take that paper and stick it in your pocket and carry it with you and just keep bringing it up and just keep thinking on, your, keep thinking on that enemy. You could do that. Or you could come and you could place it before God. You could say, God, I'm releasing this thing to you. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate and I'm giving this thing to you. So 
now that you have that piece of paper, you've got to do one of those two things. And as we sing, you can either fold that up and stick it in your pocket. Or by demonstration, I want you to take that piece of paper that you've got. And you can just hold it out to the Lord. And just say, here it is. And nobody's going to come snatch it from you. Nobody's going to come read it for you. If you want to, you can come and you can come lay it down right up here if you want to. You can come to the altar just like he did and place it right before the Lord and say, Lord, here it is. Here it is. I'm desperate in this area. This is sin. I'm desperate for you to take it away and forgive me. This is, this is my situation. This is the sickness. This is what I'm being crushed by. Lord, here it is. But I want to remind you that this isn't just a physical thing you do. And you are giving your enemy to the God who loves you. So give it to him. As we sing, you stuff it or you give it. Those are your only two options this morning.